Sam Tracy. And I'm Sarah Merrigan. And thanks for tuning in to Season 5 of This Week in Drugs, the leading podcast on all things drugs, including policy, science, culture, and so much more. This show is produced by Twid Media, whose members are all alumni of Students for Sensible Drug Policy, an awesome nonprofit working to end the war on drugs. We also produce a weekly email newsletter and have some other exciting projects on the way. You can check them all out on our website, thisweekindrugs.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy the show. Now it's time for our weekly news and forecast, where Sam and I dive into some of the biggest stories about drugs and drug policy from this week. But before we do that, we want to say a big thank you to our sponsor this week, which is listeners like you. So thank you for listening. And if you want to check out some of the work that we do and some of the awesome rewards that we give to people who support us, you can head on over to patreon.com slash twid and maybe become a patron. We also have a little bit of personal news, I guess, on this news episode. It is Sam's last news episode. But I will still be part of the team, just switching over to the discussion side of things. And replacing me is Rochelle. Yay! We're bringing the team back together. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. So yeah, starting next week, uh, Rochelle will be taking over the news side of things from me, and I'll be switching over to discussions, and we'll be yeah getting some exciting stuff ready in the coming weeks to uh, launch season six uh, sometime soon at a to-be-determined date. <laughs> it's gonna be good. Mm-hmm. All right, Sam, what do you what did you pick for your last episode of the news? So my last first big story <laughs> this week. Uh, it's about the Trump administration. And at first, it just sounds like a dumb comment. And, you know, at the end of the day, I guess it still is. Um, (laughs) But I do think it is one that's actually worth talking about a bit. Um, This is that last week at a forum hosted by the White House and directed towards college students, Kellyanne Conway proposed eating a French fry as an alternative to using fentanyl. Right. <laughs> yes. And in case this sounds like an oversimplification, uh, we're just going to put the full quote right here. You today, I will say on our college campuses, your folks are reading the labels. They won't put any sugar in their body. They don't eat carbs anymore. And they're very, very fastidious about what goes into their body. And then you buy a street drug for 5 or $10. It's laced with fentanyl. And that's it. So I guess my short advice is, as somebody double your age, Eat the ice cream, have the French fry, don't buy the street drug. (laughs) Believe me, it all works out. Yeah, so this got some laughs at the time. And, you know, it seems like it was a pretty friendly crowd, the type of college students who were attending this. But her basic point here to unpack it a bit is that there's people who care about their diet, but who are then using what she sees as dangerous, you know, street drugs. She doesn't specify what the street drug is. Um, But it sounds like she's probably talking about marijuana here, since there's all these stories going around about Uh, marijuana being laced with fentanyl, which I do think is incredibly rare. I've been hearing it more and more, including from um, some state lawmakers and things like that. So I think there may be some cases it's hard to verify. um, But I think, you know, it's talked about way more than it actually happens for sure. Um, I'm curious what street drugs kids are getting for $5. That's a (laughs) Yeah, that's a very small amount of whatever the street drug is. Um, And yeah, and apparently it's all laced with fentanyl. Um, And it's strange, just, I mean, her argument for on the one side is that, of course, 
the best way to make sure marijuana isn't laced with fentanyl is to regulate it. Um, something that they don't talk about. <laughs> they just say, okay, you should eat French fries instead. Um, and you know, the point is dumb, but I do think there's a small bit of merit in it. Um, not to give her too much credit, but I don't know. There, there's that college liberal meme, um, just with the, the, like the, the, uh, Occupy Wall Street, uh, girl with dreadlocks and stuff. And I, re- I remember one of them being, um, the slogan was afraid of hormones and milk takes acid from strangers. <laughs> and I was like, all right, I-, I have known a few of those people. Um, and I do think it, it does. You know, if you're putting food in your body and caring about that, you should, you know, at least be testing your drugs and things. Um, but I think she's, you know, making this seem more common than it actually is. And, you know, it's totally separate from the issue of opioid addiction. Yeah, I think it's it just is a very, I mean, it's it's just say no. It's just like being right. rebranded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just say no to the drugs. Yes to the French fries instead. Um, I I mean, at least she's not saying like, hey, you should just drink alcohol instead. But I can basically, you know, I think they essentially are still making that Mm -hmm. argument um, of saying, hey, use these other alternatives that are still pretty bad for you in certain quantities. Um, And I do think what's important, too, to talk about this. I mean, there is some merit to the substitution effect in certain cases, uh, but more so when we're talking about something like marijuana and opioids, because at the end of the day, it's not just people using them recreationally, which seems to be what she's getting at. And that like, oh, recreational French fries instead. Um, but a lot of people are self-medicating and, you know, marijuana can treat chronic pain, uh, but French fries cannot. So it seems like if you want to do any kind of substituting, um, that it does make sense that, you know, maybe a, a drug that actually treats this but is safer is a better idea. Oh, Kellyanne. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. My next one is also about the Trump administration. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's, well, it's an editorial. So I guess it's hard to say whether it's uh, positive or negative. I enjoyed reading it and mm-hmm. hopefully will enjoy it as well. So the editorial board of New Jersey's largest newspaper, the Star Ledger, published a piece this week titled Trump Breaks Promises on Treatment, Blames Opioid Crisis on Immigrants. And this is honestly one of the most scathing takedowns I've seen of the president's drug policy, um, and like his approach to everything since he started campaigning and then actually was in office with the ability to make policy and enforce policy. Um, mm-hmm. And it does a really great job of drawing parallels between Trump and officials from in and from New Jersey, specifically Chris Christie and Congressman Tom MacArthur. So it begins by asking the question, what exactly has he achieved on his campaign promise to, quote, spend the money to help people who, quote, are so seriously addicted? Nothing so far after more than a year of talk in the face of a raging epidemic. And that just kind of sets the tone for the entire piece. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. One thing that's really interesting to me, they do a really great job of using direct quotes from Trump to sort of illustrate mm-hmm. their their points and their kind of disgust with his approach. Um, mm-hmm. They talk about specifically um, Trump's attempts to repeal the Affordable Care Act and how that would have basically taken away drug treatment um, or access to treatment from the 
the few people who do have access to treatment right now, um, all mm. in the name of giving the rich a giant tax break. And this is where they really call out Congressman MacArthur. Um, they go so far as to call him a fraud on the issue because he championed the repeal act or the repeal of the ACA while also mm. co-chairing a task force on opioids in Congress. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that it's really interesting to me to see a, an editorial board come out swinging on an issue like mm -hmm. this. Yeah. And I mean, they do make such a good case, as you said, because of using all of those direct quotes, because basically on the campaign trail, and this is the case for so many other issues, but Trump was basically running as like a kind of big government person when it came to the opioid crisis. He was saying, as this quote is, that we should be spending more mm -hmm. money on this, that he wanted to have universal health care. He actually, at least among Republicans, he was basically the furthest left on that issue. And then, you know, as soon as he wins, um, then he completely goes back on that and just kind of falls back into the Republican orthodoxy about getting rid of the Affordable Care Act, which, you know, all other arguments aside, it is an undeniable fact that it's, you know, spending less on the opioid crisis. Maybe you think that spending isn't as efficient as it should be or whatever, but it is an area where we're taking back, uh, you know, government expenditures mm -hmm. there. Um, and it's not being replaced with anything else. They always talked about, you know, the repeal and replace thing, but it's not that, okay, instead of, uh, mandating health insurance, we're just going to give these huge block grants or something like that. They just didn't, you know, replace it with anything that works any better. Um, and so it, it is completely true that he's been uh, talking a big game about this and saying that the government should do things, but isn't actually doing mm -hmm. anything. I think, you know, I, I hope that everyone, we're going to link to this. And so I hope everyone does sit down and, and read it. It's, it's a pretty quick read. Um, but I guess the one paragraph I want to read um, is, before we wrap up, is the conclusion. They say, so to all the suffering parents whose kids are addicted, stuck on waiting lists for rehab, and fatally overdosing, don't blame the man in the White House who broke his promise to spend a lot of money on the opioid crisis and help more get treatment. Blame the Mexicans. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I please read this uh, editorial. And if you have thoughts on something we didn't cover, uh, email us or let us know on Facebook or Twitter. Absolutely. And so for my final last mm. big story, um, I've got actually a little bit of original Ooh. reporting. Um, and then, so this is some stuff that I came across uh, during my job as the director of the Connecticut Coalition to Regulate Marijuana. Um, I've been doing a bunch of testimony at public hearings uh, this uh, this legislative session at the state legislature. And this week I was going through all of the written testimony that was submitted and found one that at first I couldn't really believe my eyes that it was real. Um, this was that in testimony submitted by the Connecticut Vineyard and Winery Association. They basically said that they want to keep marijuana illegal because it makes people drink wine <laughs> instead. Uh, so after saying they oppose the bill in their opening statement, they write, and it's here's a big paragraph, but I think it's worth reading in its entirety. So, quote, in recent years, the Connecticut state legislature has passed a number of bills that have negatively impacted small farm wineries, Sunday sales, tastings in liquor stores, etc. HB 5458 
has the potential to threaten sales beyond that of any recent legislation. Researchers from the University of Connecticut teamed up with top academics in January of this year to determine that alcohol sales have dropped 15% in states with medical marijuana laws. That's a large percentage of revenue these wineries cannot make up for and could drive good jobs and businesses out of Connecticut in a struggling economy. End of the quote. So this is a lot to think about. I mean, for on the one hand, they're citing sources about medical marijuana laws, and Connecticut's had medical marijuana for uh six years now we passed it in 2012 and so they either seem to be a bit confused or they're basically just saying hey if medical marijuana decreases wine use imagine what recreational marijuana is going to do which you know might be a fair point because we've talked about you know substitution effects and stuff on the show before but as someone pointed out in a in a, a, a comment on the facebook post that we had about this um it does this mean that the association is kind of admitting that a lot of people who drink alcohol are self-medicating because they're saying, Hey, you're allowing this other, uh, this medical product and it's making people, you know, drink alcohol less. Um, and that is a phenomenon that, you know, is pretty common with alcohol and other drugs. And I don't know if that's what they're trying to say, but it comes across that way. Yeah, this is, uh, this is very unique. And I'm kind of with you that I would, mm-hmm. you know, if I had come across this, I would have had a hard time uh, believing it was, it was actually something someone submitted as written testimony. Right. Um, yeah. It almost seems yeah, like satire. Really. And I think, I don't know, one of the things that comes to mind for me um, would be, this is almost, you know, there's kind of an opportunity for, or there could be an opportunity for some of these small wineries to jump into the like infused wine like market Mm -hmm. you know there's there are ways to innovate so that this doesn't necessarily Mm -hmm. impact them in in the way that they're worried about i guess yeah because i mean it is something that people do like pairing cannabis and wine or, or other things and so if people are doing winery tours and it's outdoors anyway maybe there could be a market for people trying to combine those if it was allowed under the state law um but it is also just, you know, just thinking about it is kind of mind boggling that they don't really think about the implications of what prohibition means or they just don't care about the human costs of it because they're not just trying to block competition, but they're saying, you know, we, this should stay illegal. Um, so people should continue being arrested for, you know, using a drug that is our competition. And it's just pretty frightening. Yeah, this is this is some very blatant uh, self-interest, I guess. Yeah, we just talk about, you know, big alcohol and big pharma so often, but it's rare that you see them just saying it like this in the public record, um, just saying the, the, the straight up economic arguments instead of doing this, you know, in the Yeah, this, this is the kind of thing I would like to see uh, um, Kevin Sabet and Project Sam uh, respond to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we love their thoughts on this. <laughs> Kevin, if you're listening, email us. <laughs> so my next story is actually also from New Jersey. I guess I um, mm. had a local <laughs> focus this week. Uh, but this mm. one is pretty interesting, in my opinion. Um, thanks to a new directive from New Jersey's Attorney General, Gerber Gwal. I hope I said that right, (laughs) requires uh, every state, county, and local law enforcement agency to conduct one random drug screening this year in 2018 and two every year starting in 2019. And this this directive um, is one of two that was released or sort of issued um, by the Attorney General on 
Tuesday or Wednesday of last, on Tuesday of last week. And the other one is basically, they're both designed to deal with police accountability. Um, and the second one essentially creates an early warning system uh, that would, that's, its goal is to basically intercept instances of police misconduct um, before things really before sh- before shit really hits the fan, I guess. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. they, yeah. It basically comes up with 15 performance indicators that if if they occur, if more than if three of them occur over the course of a year, the then the officer in question is flagged for review. Um, and it doesn't really go into detail about what that review looks like and what that process means, but. Uh, I mean, it includes yeah. eternal affairs complaints, lawsuits, uh, excessive force, sexual harassment, kind of the whole <laughs> the whole list of things that we mm-hmm. see uh, far too often coming from law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Um, but according to the outgoing director of the of New Jersey's Division of Criminal Justice, um, both the early warning system and this new policy of drug testing are essentially intended to build trust in police and community relations. Um, she goes on to say, she goes on to say that the goal is to, you know, we're building trust in police and community relations and police are granted extraordinary authority to protect us and enforce our laws, including authority to use lethal and non-lethal force. And we must ensure that those who wield such power are individuals of sound mind, body, and judgment. An officer who uses illegal drugs or has repeatedly shown poor judgment cannot be trusted to make rational decisions and exercise appropriate discretion. Hmm. <laughs> so that's an interesting um, justification, I guess. Yeah, because I mean, I can kind of see it from the idea of building trust in the police because there have been in here in Massachusetts and I'm sure in New Jersey and probably in every single state, there's occasional scandals about, you know, police stealing drugs from the evidence locker and things like that. And when you see stories like that of the police hypocrisy of them, you know, arresting people for these illegal drugs and then using them themselves, you know, I think it is, you know, reasonable to point out that hypocrisy. Um, but at the same time, this is then just framing, you know, illegal drug users as people who inherently can't make rational decisions because we're, you know, it's obviously fine to say we need police to be sober on the job. You know, you don't want people to be drunk or high on anything when they're um, needing to make life and death death decisions like that. But when they're using it off the job, I mean, no one's saying that police should be 100 percent. Uh, sober all the time that they should never be allowed to drink alcohol um so if someone you know is using marijuana off the job when they're not on call or anything um you know that doesn't seem like any good reason to be kicking them off the force any more so than somebody who who drinks when they're they're not working yeah and i think one thing that i also found interesting um so i mean it's not surprising that departments are required to report any failed drug tests but they're also required to supply the names of any officers who refuse to take the drug test. Mm-hmm. So that it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. I guess I, I have a hard time imagining a law enforcement uh, officer refusing to submit to a drug test. But I, 
anything's possible. So we will be keeping an eye mm-hmm. on this one. Yeah, definitely. I would not be surprised if the police union ends up suing or something over yep. this, but we'll, we'll see how it gets implemented. <laughs> and uh, first, uh, before the headlines, just a quick word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by listeners like you. Join them at patreon.com slash twit. If you've listened to This Week in Drugs before, you know that we have a 30-second commercial each week, which helps cover the cost of producing the show. But that's not our biggest source of funding. The big majority of our money comes from listeners like you, who sign up to support our work with a small monthly contribution. At patreon.com twid, you can get some great perks for as little as $1 a month. This money helps us pay our bills, like web hosting and audio production software, so that we can keep creating great content for you to listen to each week. Again, that's patreon.com slash twid. We appreciate your support. And now diving into the quick hit headlines. The first is that the city of Detroit, Michigan has reached a settlement where it will pay $225,000 to the owners of three dogs after a police officer shot and killed all three of them during a marijuana raid. The owner was a legal medical marijuana patient in the state program who was allowed to grow plants at home, but her only violation was growing them in her backyard instead of indoors. One officer involved has killed 73 dogs during his career. On Wednesday, Reddit announced a decision to take down and ban any subreddits affiliated with darknet drug markets. Citing its policy against transactions involving prohibited goods and services, the move appears to be part of a wider crackdown on illegal activity by the site. An Arkansas judge has thrown out the five medical marijuana cultivation licenses recently granted by the state in a ruling on a case that alleged the state's process was deeply flawed and violated due process and equal protection clauses of the state's constitution, partly because some application reviewers had financial ties to winning applicants. It's unclear how the program will proceed. Options could include rescoring the same applications or possibly even starting the process all over. Uh, The dispensary licenses, we assume, are also on hold since it was basically the same process. Uh, So we'll be keeping close tabs on this story. A study out of the University of Zurich found that LSD reduces your sense of integrated self and blurs the boundary between what is you and what is another person. The goal of the study was to learn how the brain creates a sense of self. You can find the link to the full study on our website. And now for the weekly forecast. This Tuesday, March 27th, in Mentor, Ohio, is an event called the Sound of Ideas Community Tour, Opioid Crisis in Lake County. Uh, So they've got a quick description on their Facebook page, so I'll just read that quick. Uh, Throughout 2018, the Sound of Ideas with Mike McIntyre on Cleveland's NPR station is getting out of the studio and into a community near you to learn about the people who make up Northeast Ohio and the issues that matter most. The first stop on our 2018 community tour is Mentor Schools Paradigm Center to discuss how Lake County is working together to combat the opioid crisis. We'll feature a panel of residents and experts who can help guide an interactive conversation. The event is free and open to the public. We'll rely heavily on questions and comments from the live audience throughout the show. So that's their description. It sounds like a great event, you know, NPR talking about the opioid crisis. So if you're in Ohio, uh, definitely check it out. And many thanks to our listener, Greg, for sending this in. If you, a listener who's listening to me right now, or Greg, (laughs) if know of any other events that you want us to share, uh, please feel free to send them our way. And if you will be in D.C. for 420 this year, make sure to check out the National Cannabis Festival Policy Summit. I know that we've talked about this quite a bit. Uh, Rochelle and I had the opportunity to attend last year, and it was fantastic. But 
there was no policy summit last year, so we are very much looking forward to this. Uh, the schedule and the full list of speakers were released this week, and the lineup looks stellar. Many of our former guests will be there, and speaking about everything from tax reform to criminal justice. This event is also free and open to the public, so you can find a link on our website. Awesome. So that is everything for this week's edition of the Weekly News and Forecast. Once again, we'd love to thank our sponsor, which is listeners like you who support us at patreon.com slash twid. Uh, please check out that website to learn more about how you can support our work here. And uh, yeah, since this is my my last news episode for the foreseeable future, I want to say it's been a, a wild ride, a great time. Thanks for everyone who's listening to this. Um, thanks for everyone who supports the show. Hope you definitely keep listening, and I'll be back soon. Um, we'll be diving into more discussions during Season 6. And so uh, talk to all of you listeners soon. And, of course, as we always say, uh, there's a lot going on. So please send us anything that you think is particularly interesting or events that are coming up. And we love to uh, feature them on the show. So, uh, yeah, keep in touch, everybody. Aww. Again, for listening to season five of This Week in Drugs, hosted by Sam Tracy and me, Sarah Merrigan, and produced by Chris Harris. If you liked this episode, please be sure to subscribe so that new episodes will be sent straight to you. If you really liked this episode, you can help other people discover us by writing a quick review in iTunes or wherever you're listening. And if you absolutely love this episode and want to support our work, you can make a one-time contribution using PayPal, become a monthly supporter on Patreon, or even sponsor an episode. For links to those and to learn more about our other projects, head on over to thisweekindrugs.org.